Kings. And I'd just like us to pray for him now as he brings God's word and the words that God has placed on his heart this morning. Father, I thank you for my brother. I thank you for, rather, for the call upon his life. For the many hundreds and thousands of people that his work has affected over so many years. Father, we pray today that we might be open to hear what you have placed on Neil's heart for us this morning. Father, do him good today. And through him, do us good. By your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Paul. Well, I'm really excited about preaching this morning. Whether you will be, tell me at the end. So as we continue our series entitled The Relationship God Wants, today we're focusing on faith. The dictionary defines faith as complete trust or confidence. Secondly, firm belief, especially without logical proof. And Paul says in his letter to the Hebrews, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. And the two key words in that are sure and certain. Abraham had a sure and certain faith in God. And in a moment, Judith is going to read beautifully um, <laughs> today's passage, which is Genesis 22, 1 to 14. So if you want to follow in your uh, Bible or on your phone or whatever vehicle you've got for reading the Bible, now would be a good time. But what I'd like you to do as Judith reads this over is, I'd like you to empathize with Abraham. Put yourself in Abraham's sandals. How would it feel to be experiencing this maelstrom of emotions. The title in my Bible of this chapter is two simple words, Abraham tested Judith. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. 
But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its thorns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So God tested Abraham in a fairly major way, not to trip him up or to catch him out and watch him fall, but to deepen his capacity to obey. And as we've seen in the previous sermons in this series, uh, God's plan was to make Abraham the father of nations. And he needed to be sure that Abraham had the depth of faith to be obedient to God's plan, no matter what that was. So just as fire refines ore extracted from precious metals, God refines us through challenging circumstances. I don't know whether any of you are in challenging circumstances this morning. We had some words at the prayer meeting that maybe somebody is uh, suffering from depression or maybe somebody's carrying a heavy weight on their back which is about financial difficulties or maybe somebody that would like to be a father who isn't is carrying anxiety about that. If any of those things apply to you, then please be prayed for at the end of the service. The ministry team would love to pray for you. So when we're tested, we can either moan and complain which is a gift that most of us possess. <laughs> or we can try and discern how God is stretching us in order to develop our character. And you could argue that this episode in Abraham's life is one of the greatest acts of obedience in recorded history. At God's bidding, he traveled 50 miles to Mount Moriah, near the site of modern Jerusalem, interestingly, with the clear expectation of sacrificing his one and only son, over the years, Abraham had learned many tough lessons, and we've heard about them over the last five weeks, lessons about the importance of obeying God. But this time, his obedience was prompt and complete. Obeying God is often a struggle, because it means giving up something that we truly want to do. I don't know whether you're struggling with something at the moment, that you think, maybe God doesn't want me to do that, but do you know what? I fancy it anyway. So perhaps we shouldn't expect obedience to, to just come naturally. But God knew the magnitude of the challenge that he was giving Abraham. And he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Now, as you know, Isaac was the long-awaited son that Sarah and Abraham had been waiting for for all these years. And I imagine he was a little bit spoiled. He was the, the apple of their eye. They'd been down to the shops 
They'd been to mother care and they'd got them everything you could possibly get for a son. Who would have believed that Abraham could have such a son late in life? And yet, doing the impossible seems to be quite possible for God. And maybe our big problem is not letting God handle our big problems. It says in Philippians 4.19, listen to this if you're in a dark place, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. A little bit earlier I looked across and Tim was holding his baby and he was holding him out here. And I thought, what a perfect picture that was. Tim's obviously a bit younger than Abraham. And this is a picture of me holding my granddaughter. I'm the one on the right. (laughs) And amazingly, that little mite that I'm holding there was such joy, a depth of joy that I had no concept that I would feel, is sitting in the front row with my wife this morning. It's my granddaughter, Amelia. And I prepared this sermon two weeks ago because I like to prepare well ahead. And I sent my... uh, PowerPoint off to Phil Yonks ago, and I didn't know Amelia was coming this morning. So what a confirmation. I thought, oh, thank you, God. Now, Amelia is a great encourager. She encourages me. She likes my tweets every day. (laughs) And most especially, when a grandmother plays the piano, she says, Grandma, that is great. (laughs) And I have to say, not many people say that. (laughs) I do, of course. Has anybody got a spare place for lunch? (laughs) I've also got a lovely memory of my son when he was a little boy, which was uh, quite, well, a little while ago. I thought I'd do this father-son bonding thing. So we went and did a bit of hunter-gathering down at Tesco's. And... (laughs) Because I I, I like to go back to my roots, being a hunter-gatherer. So we went to Tesco, and then we, we trundled off to Wendover Woods, and we started walking through the, the lanes and the paths, and it was really great, and I was loving having a great time with Steve. And every so often we stopped, and we had a bit of picnic, and we moved on. I, I seem to remember the weather was much like today, but it was a real father-son bonding adventure. And I guess that's not quite what Abraham was thinking when he was going off with his son, In fact, he must have been aghast, mustn't he, at the father-son bonding adventure that God had got in store for him. Anyway, the next morning, he dutifully got out of bed, loaded his donkey, which is the equivalent of putting your Tesco shopping in the boot, (laughs) and off he went. He cut the wood necessary for the fire, and he set out on his painful journey. After a few days of travel... Looking ahead, Abraham recognized the designated place of sacrifice that God had specified. He knew it was the right place. And he said to his servants, and I think the choice of words is really interesting, we will worship and then we'll come back to you. So he was seeing the sacrifice of his son as worship. So Abraham loaded the wood onto Isaac's back, which I think is a good division of labor, and off they went. Abraham loaded the wood on Isaac's back, as I said, making sure that he had his sharpest knife and the means of lighting the fire. So he probably had a flint or maybe some burning coals and a lantern. And as Isaac was struggling along under this uh, burden of wood, he suddenly thought to himself, I don't know how old he was, but he he said to his dad, "Um, well, I've got the wood and I can see that you've got the means of lighting the fire. 
But there seems to be a component missing. We haven't got the lamb. And Abraham answered his question with a profoundly prophetic statement of faith. God himself will provide the lamb. And you could argue that that bundle of sticks that Abraham's son Isaac is carrying foreshadows the fact that our Saviour carried a wooden cross on Calvary. And the Lamb was the Lamb of God. Now, I wonder what was going through Abraham's mind, because I remember this thing in Wendover Woods and thinking, oh, I'm proud of, so proud of my son, I'm enjoying spending time with him. I wonder what Abraham was thinking as he was trundling along with his son and he knew and any time soon he was going to have to sacrifice him. Was he thinking, what's going on? I've been waiting till I'm 100 to have my child. Sarah's been a laughingstock for years because she couldn't give me a son. And now we've got our son and God is asking me to sacrifice him. He's promised me that I'll be the father of nations and yet my son is going to be sacrificed on a pile of wood, on a windy mountaintop. Has he got it right? Does God know what he's doing? What kind of heartless puppet master is this God? Or was he thinking, I serve a mighty God who's been faithful to me through thick and thin. I've made some bad mistakes, not least trying to pass off my wife as my sister for my own devious purposes. Around my 100th birthday, I've had a child. My darling wife was also quite mature, so it was a miracle God's blessed us in a most amazing way with this longed-for little boy. It indeed was a miracle. My God is a God of miracles. Maybe he's got another miracle in his locker. <laughs> Either way, I'm going to be faithful and obedient to my mighty God. So we've all got choices to make, haven't we? And how do you discern God moving in your life? Uh, I don't know about you, but I would love to hear the audible voice of God saying, Neil, do this, do that. What is God saying to you now? This wonderful book that Paul advertised, which I think is beautifully written, um, <laughs> Living a Christian Lifestyle. Actually, the first third of it is all about listening. And I think listening is so important. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard sums it up brilliantly. He says, at first a man prayed, and he thought that prayer was talking. But he became more and more quiet until in the end, he realized that prayer is listening. So two key parts of this story involve Abraham listening. Firstly, the commission to sacrifice his son and later on the reprieve that says, don't do it. So why do you think God was asking Abraham to perform human sacrifice? It seems very odd because in Leviticus 21.3, he completely uh, rules it out. He says it's a terrible sin. In fact, let me just read you that. Uh, scripture. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, any Israelite or any foreigner residing in Israel who sacrifices any child to Molech is to be put to death. The members of the community are to stone him. So here's the thing, I think. God didn't actually want Isaac to die, but he wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in his heart and to put God first now, somebody once asked me what my priorities are, and I said, God is my first priority, my family are my second priority, keeping fit and being wonderful are my third priority, and work is my fourth priority. What are your priorities? Is God your number one priority? Just dwell on that. 
So the purpose was to strengthen character and deepen faith in, in Isaac. And I guess um, we all have those moments. And here's the good news. God will provide. There was a ram caught in the thicket. Right, this is my big question for you this morning. What are you prepared to sacrifice? Hopefully God's not asking you to sacrifice your only son. Many years ago, I used to work in a Roman Catholic school, and it was run by the Sisters of St. Joseph. And they were lovely. I, I only partially understood what they were saying, but they were lovely, because they were very broad Southern Irish sisters. But they had a very obvious faith, and they'd made terrific sacrifices to become nuns, to become brides of Christ. They'd given up career, marriage, uh, all sorts of things. One of them said to me, Neil, the thing is, our parents love having some nuns or some uh, priests in the family because it helps you get into heaven. I'm not sure that that's actually true. I think there might be a few problems there, but I, I, maybe it was a joke anyway. But I suspect the nuns didn't see it as a sacrifice. They saw it as a calling, as an honor to be a bride of Christ. So on the subject of sacrifice, um, one of my favorite films ever is Chariots of Fire. And you know what's coming now, don't you? Eric Liddell. And he was prepared to sacrifice his gold medal at the 1924 Paris Olympics in the 100 meters. He was the favorite. He was running the quickest times across the world in the 100 meters. And then he found out that the heats were on a Sunday. And he said, well, I can't run because I'm a Christian. And Sunday is the Lord's day. So I'm not going to run. So instead, he decided to run in the 400 meters. And the film, The Chariots of Fire, immortalizes that decision. Here's a short clip from the race. This is Eric Liddell just warming up. And he gets a message from an American competitor, opponent. He's the American. That's Eric's sister. Now, Eric Liddell said, 
in that clip, God made me for a purpose. And the purpose wasn't to win the 400 meters in the 1924 Olympics. It was actually to become a missionary. And he became a missionary after the Games, and he went off to China, which probably a lot of you know. When he was a missionary in China, he met a, a delightful young woman who was Canadian, and they had three children, and there were uh, missionaries in, in China. And then during the Second World War, a bit like Pearl Harbor, the Japanese um, invaded China, and Eric, after a great deal of thinking, decided to send his wife home, his wife and children. So they went back to Canada, but Eric stayed on to preach God's word and to minister to the people there. And then in 1943, the Japanese decided that they'd round up all the people that were foreign nationals and send them to a brutal internment camp. And sadly, Eric died there in 1945. But what's less well known is that 63 years after Eric's death, just before the Beijing Olympics, the Chinese government revealed something that Eric's family hadn't known up till that point, which was that Eric was included in a prisoner exchange deal between Japan and Britain. And he was given the chance to go back home. But instead, he sacrificed his place for a woman that was pregnant. And he died in her stead. That is called sacrifice. So as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking, what am I prepared to sacrifice? We live in a very cozy part of the world. I have a very cozy existence. We've got a thing at home that says... The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And that is undoubtedly true. So what, what are you prepared to sacrifice? What am I prepared to sacrifice? Here's a few facts from christianfreedom.org. So during the time I've been speaking... Three Christians have been martyred for their faith. Now, if you'd lived in Amersham some years ago, maybe you would have been martyred for your faith. This is current-day China. This woman dared to profess that she was a Roman Catholic. And that was her reward. Would we be prepared to stand up and acknowledge what we believe in? As I said, um, in the 1500s, people not very far from here, just behind where Baden and Sue live, were sacrificed for their faith. And it says about the Amish and Martyrs, in the shallow depression at a spot 100 yards to the left of this monument, seven Protestants, six men, and one woman were burned to death at the stake. They died for the principles of religious liberty, for the right to read and interpret the Holy Scripture, and to worship God according to their consciences, as revealed through God's holy word. So I ask you again, what are you prepared to sacrifice? I was coaching a head teacher not a million miles from here on Thursday, and she was telling me it wasn't persecution in the sense that she was physically attacked, but her faith was attacked by people who knew she was a Christian and used that against her. Have you ever experienced any kind of persecution? Do you, do you think it's difficult to be a Christian? A few weeks ago, we, we went up on retreat to Holy Island in Northumberland. And I think in Yonggi Cho's term, uh, Holy Island is a thin place. In other words, you can communicate with God. And, and is that because Christians have been praying there for centuries and centuries and centuries? 
And we walked in the footsteps of St. Aidan and St. Cuthbert. And, and we prayed to God there, as we are doing this morning. And it's the same God that Aidan was praying to, that Cuthbert was praying to, that the martyrs were praying to, that Eric Liddell was praying to. We can speak to that God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Thank you, Barbara. Because everybody else seems stunningly excited about that. <laughs> we can pray to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He hears you. He knows you. He knew you before you were born. He knew you before you were smaller than Tim's little baby. He has designs and plans for you. Anyway, we were um, on Holy Island and we saw the place where Cuthbert built himself a shelter in order to spend time alone with God. He sacrificed his ambitions, his fortune, and ultimately his whole life to be in communion with God. And when we were there, we saw these piles of stones. And I thought, well, I wonder what this is then. And of course, some of you no doubt will know. Maybe somebody had a few minutes, piled up a few stones, or maybe somebody made a covenant with God. All through the story of Abraham, there's all kinds, it's punctuated with his covenants with God. What's your covenant with God? What, what are you saying to God? What have you covenanted? The young people's work here used to be called covenanters. What have you covenanted with God? What's in the nature of your covenant? Uh, I can't begin to imagine how I'd respond if God asked me to sacrifice one of my children or grandchildren. Um, when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to his son. Abraham must have undertaken the building of the altar with a heavy heart. I'm going to put my son on there in a minute and effectively murder him. Lastly, he tied Isaac up. And I imagine Isaac was screaming, Dad, Dad, what are you doing? He must have been struggling. And he must have been overcome with blind terror when he saw Abraham get his sharpest knife out. Any moment now, the knife was going to cut into his young flesh. And then, just in the nick of time, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! God's timing is perfect. Do not lay hands on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. When I was preparing this sermon... I remember the story that my friend Bryn had told me some uh, years ago, and it's a classic. It is an absolute classic. I don't tell it as well as Bryn, but I'm going to do my best. So once upon a time, there was a pope, and the pope went for his annual checkup, and he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, Oh, Your Holiness, I've got some really bad news for you. You've got a really serious heart condition. In fact, if you don't have a heart transplant you're going to die. And the Pope said, ah. Anyway, that Sunday, he was on the balcony in St. Peter's Square. And there were thousands of people out in St. Peter's Square. And he was looking over from the balcony. He said, my children, I have some sad news for you. I am terminally ill. I've got a really bad heart. If I don't have a heart transplant, I'm going to die. And the people as one shouted, shouted, Father, Father, take him a heart. Take him a heart. And he said, but, well, and they shouted, Father, Father, take him a heart. And he said, but who can I choose? Because they were all shouting, Father, Father, take him a heart. And then one of his cardinals, the chap with the pointy hat, 
whispered in his ear. And he said, okay, I've got a solution. Here, I've got a feather. And I'm going to stand on the front of the balcony and I'm going to drop this feather over and whoever the feather lands on, that's the person whose heart I will take. And meanwhile, the people are all shouting, Father, Father, take my heart. So the Pope dramatically leans over the balcony, drops the feather, and the feather starts wafting down. And all the people in St. Peter's Square are shouting at the top of their voices, Father, Father, take my heart! (laughs) Father, Father, take my heart! (laughs) So the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. (laughs) So anyway, Abraham passed his test with flying colors, with full marks, a perfect ten. He was willing to sacrifice his only son, and he demonstrated his complete faith in God. And because God's timing is perfect and his provision is total, he looked into a thicket and they saw a ram caught by the horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. The ram was sacrificed as a burnt offering instead of Isaac. The ram was a substitute, came off the bench at exactly the right moment. God's timing is perfect and his provision is total. Abraham didn't withhold his son from God. Even more significantly, God didn't withhold his only son, Jesus, from us. There's a cross at the back there. Christ died on a cross like that for us. God didn't spare his only son from a gruesome and painful death. God sent his only son to die for us so that we could be spared from the eternal damnation that we deserve. Instead of that, he promised us eternal life. Possibly the most famous verse or the most well-known verse in the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you don't know that to be true in the depth of your heart, let me say it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you haven't got certainty in your heart that you've got eternal life, this would be a good sign. The entire gospel comes into focus in that one verse. The father's love is overwhelming. He sacrificed his son on Mount Calvary between two thieves. And that was love beyond measure. That was, as we sang at the beginning, amazing grace. That was the ultimate sacrifice. And God established the pattern of profound love, the basis of all loving relationships. When you're completely sold out for God and you're prepared to do things for other people, just as Eric Liddell said to the pregnant woman, You take my place in the prisoner swap. God said to his son Jesus, you take the place of all these sinners. And Jesus did. God paid the ultimate ransom. So Jesus accepted our punishment. He paid the price for our sins. And then he offered us new life that his self-sacrifice has purchased for us. Our role is to tell everybody about it. To tell your neighbor, the person two doors away, three doors away, the person in the next town, the person in the next country. Our job is to tell everybody. 
in a minute, we're going to take communion. And when we look at the bread and the wine, the bread is the body of Jesus. The wine is the blood of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Just as Abraham, I bet he was so relieved, don't you? He got out his sharp knife and he said, right, let's do a bit of cutting. And he cut the ropes. And I guess Isaac leapt up and said, oh, thank you, Daddy. I thought you were going to give me a full frontal lobotomy there for a minute. Um, So just as Isaac was released from the bonds that bound him, so are we released from the bonds that bind us. Now, to believe is way more than an intellectual agreement. It is embracing the Lord Jesus Christ as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That means that we have the faith to trust him completely and without reservation, regardless of the circumstances. He alone has the power to save us. (laughs) Our challenge is to have the, the faith to put him in charge of everything, our present plans, our future destiny. So by way of conclusion... Let Abraham's faith be an example to us all. Amen. We're going to take this opportunity to...